Father God, I just, I just want to take this time to ask you to search me and know me. And I hope that everyone here will agree with me in prayer when I say that take all of my distractions and just take them away. There's so many different things that we can be concerned about, so many things that we can be focused on all in purpose so that we don't hear you in this service. Whether that be through the lyrics of the song, whether it be through an emotion through a song, whether it be through a scripture that is read or, or an idea that's proposed, Father God, I just pray and ask that you would give us that wisdom to be able to push everything else aside and to just focus on you. And it doesn't mean that our distractions aren't really, really important things to us. Sometimes we're worried about the people that we love. Sometimes we're worried about stuff that we got to get done. Sometimes we're worried about the anxiety of something new. Father God, I just, I pray and I hope Lord, that for this next little bit, that you would just kind of empty us of all of those distractions, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to hear from you today, Father God. And I ask that you would be with me because, Lord, you know that if, if, if I say what I want to say and I put my opinion and my spin on things, Lord, then, then, then everybody's going to leave here um, empty. Because my words lack the power. Father God, I just ask that you would shut me down, that you would fill me, that you would use me this morning to speak your truth, your word. Eliminate us from these distractions. We love you. We praise you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. This morning I'm really excited to, to get into this new series that we've been in called What Do You Say? And kind of these questions that we're going to get into that Jesus asked. And we're going to look at five of them over the next five weeks, the, the, the entire month of January. And I, I want us to, to approach them, to, to answer them as if Jesus were asking us these questions today in our own context, which is why this series is titled, What Do You Say? Not what did they say? As believers, we're, we're tempted to make wide what God intended to be deep. Tempted to take a personal truth and make it universal. I do this all the time. Sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I see something really good and I think about all the people that need to hear that truth. Except for me. And rather than grab a mirror and dig deep and ask myself some hard questions, I'd rather wrap it up and give it to somebody else. A couple weeks ago, I came across this verse in Proverbs that hit me really hard. It's Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I shared this verse on my Facebook page and why it challenged me. Because when I'm stressed and exhausted, isolation is my go-to escape. 
I like isolation because when I'm in isolation, it's a place where I'm not a pastor, I'm not a husband, I'm not a dad, I'm just a regular dude. And I like that. But at the same time, it's dangerous because there in that place, there isn't any accountability, which makes me a prime target for a temptation or an attack from the evil one. And after I posted it on Facebook, I had three well-meaning people push back against my post, some refuting the, the dangers of isolation that I was alluding to, that we all need alone time, or refuting any possible connection that this specific verse had in my life. And I just want to say that, number one, there's a big difference between isolation and solitude, between seeking God in prayer and seeking an escape for your problems. And although alone time, it can be really rejuvenating, but it isn't always mentally and spiritually productive. And two, while I appreciate the heart behind those who reach out to me, this this perfectly describes how easy it is for us to gloss over conviction. To think that because the whole thing isn't true, that means that none of it can be true. And I don't think that God was attempting to shame me or call me out, but I do think that God was trying to warn me of an area in my life that could be potentially harmful for me. See, when we read the Word of God, we've got to be able to pull, pull that small thread and ask ourselves that question. When does this describe me? When does this apply to me? What is God trying to tell me? I realize that I may not be Sodom. I may not be faithless and vile. But have I ever disregarded the needy outside my door? Because that was one of the things that describes Sodom. One of the reasons why God destroyed it. Have I? Have you? Missed an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Of course you have. We all have. But if we're not willing to look inward and ask ourselves which ways are we like Sodom, then those small parts of us will never change. That's what this series is all about. Taking these these broad questions that were asked by Jesus and making them personal to, to reflect inwardly and ask ourselves, what would we say? How does this affect me? In Matthew 16, 13 through 18, I want to read. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? They said, well, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of these other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. And now I say to you, you are now Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus takes a moment to to pause on this journey the disciples are traveling to ask them this question. Who do you say I am? 
But I want to turn it on us today. What about today? What about you? If Jesus were to look you in the face and ask you this question, what is your answer? I took a test in college, and the answer key was what was used to copy all the tests that were given out. So upon closer study to this test that I'm taking, I can see that all the right answers have this vague highlight underneath it because they had been highlighted. And so needless to say, (laughs) that was the best test score (laughs) I ever had in college. And you know, I had had to get a couple of them wrong because Lord knows he wasn't going to believe I got a hundred, right? Yeah. And this question is a lot like that. Because here, Peter gives us the right answer. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. But in this series, we're not looking for the right answer. We're looking for your answer. Your honest, truthful, genuine response. And maybe today you'd look at me and say, you know what, Pastor, I I, I don't know. Or maybe you'd say, "I, I think he's my Savior, but I don't really know what that means. Or... I want him to be my Lord, but I feel like I've been driving my own life lately. Or maybe you'd say, I, I, I believe, I believe God exists, but I'm not really sure how that changes anything in my life. And if that's you this morning, it's okay. Can I be honest with you? We've all either come from there or we've been there. And I think that Jesus wants to ask us that question today, not, not to make us feel bad if our answer is not correct, but to help us find the right answer and to show us that the right answer matters. Because the way that we, we answer this question reveals a couple really important things to us. Before we, we jump in, I just want to apologize and, and say sorry. I I miscommunicated with my team this week, and that's why you don't have sermon notes. But if you have a pen, you can write it anywhere on your bulletin, or if you have a sheet of paper, or if your husband's not looking, you can write it on his hand. It's okay. Just, just write it down somewhere. This is the first thing. This is one of the important truths that our answer reveals to God, and that is, number one, whether or not you are a mugwump. Whether or not you are a mug. Womp. And I use that word hoping that you'll never forget it, because I never have. When I was a teenager, I went to a youth convention, and the theme of that youth convention was don't be a mugwump. A mugwump is a political word that, that's used to describe those who don't affiliate to any particular party. The people who like to ride the fence, not willing to uh, commit themselves wholeheartedly to something. We even have a little political cartoon that we can show you. The great American mugwump, this kind of explains the definition, sits on the fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other. (laughs) That youth convention's message was, was that genuine faith requires for you to be all in. You can't turn your mug towards God and leave your wump in the world. James 4.4 tells us this. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Listen, I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you need to understand that that makes you an enemy of God. There's this investment mentality in the world that, that says that you need to diversify your portfolio which means spreading your investments so that your exposure to any one type of asset is limited. 
See, this is a great strategy when it comes to your money, but it is a garbage strategy when it comes to your faith. And I get that it makes sense not to put all your eggs in one basket unless that basket is Jesus Christ because he is the only way back to the Father. Imagine knowing ahead of time, out of thousands of investments that you could make, imagine knowing that there's only one investment that can produce for you something beyond what you could ever imagine. And if you knew that ahead of time, why would you invest in anything else? You wouldn't waste your time or money on anything else. Matthew 13, 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells everything he owns so that he can buy that field because he wants the treasure. In Scripture, there's a story that that probably a lot of us are are fairly familiar with, and it is that of the prodigal son or the, the parable of the two sons. And this prodigal son in this story, he goes to his dad and says, give me everything that I'm owed. And then he goes off and he lives in a distant land and he screws everything up, loses all his money, loses all his friends. And he's just like, oh, well, this stinks. And he has a wake-up call and he goes back. And, and I was thinking when I was going through this, what would have happened if the prodigal son would have been a mugwump? trying to live with a foot in both worlds, not being hot or cold, thinking that he can, he can live this life where I can go have fun in the distant land as long as I go home once a week. I want to read to you Revelation three fifteen through 17. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were either hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, at times we gain this false arrogance as Christians, as church-going people, that we are not the prodigal son. Pride from from not being like the rest of the world, not wrapped up in this wild living. But Jesus almost, in the scripture, gives us this idea that, that it's better to be the prodigal son than it is to be lukewarm. Because what is lost can be found. But how do you find that which sits on the fence? How do you find what you can see? How do you find something you know is, or don't think is lost? I'll be honest with you. Our churches are full of people that realize that they don't understand that they're lost. As this verse says, those, those on the fence, living in both worlds, they think they got the best of both worlds. They, they think they're rich. They're getting to experience the, the pleasure of the world and the hope of religion. But what does it say? They don't realize that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They don't realize that there is a field of treasure out there that they're missing out on, all because they're too busy trying to diversify their portfolio. Don't you see that the way that we answer or don't answer this question will determine whether or not you have enough faith to do what the rich young ruler could not to count the things of this world as rubbish so that you can gain Christ, to be willing to give up everything, to willing to to go all in, betting everything on Jesus. But this requires for us to trust God. This requires for us to believe and claim that he is the Messiah. So when Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? He requires an answer because sitting on the fence only keeps you from experiencing the full measure of God's goodness. 
you'll sit there wondering why your wump hurts so much and why you don't seem to be able to find God. Don't be a mugwump. Answer the question. Who do you say that he is? This is the next piece. Your answer also reveals how close you are to Jesus. Your answer of who God is reveals how close you are to Jesus. In Mark 1.1, God declared, This is my Son whom I am pleased, Jesus. In 3.11, the demons encounter Jesus and they declare, This is the Son of God. In Mark 6.51, Jesus walks on water and he calms the storm and the disciples are like, Who is this guy? that can do all these crazy things. And then in Mark 8, Jesus says, listen, who do the people think I am? Who are they saying I am? And then he looks at the disciples and says, but, but forget all that. Who do you say that I am? From a macro level, when you, when you peel back, you see this main theme developing almost as if Jesus is saying, God knows who I am. The demons shudder at my name. The people think I'm just a prophet, but what do you say? I don't want to hear what anybody else thinks. What do you believe? Now that you've been with me, now that you've traveled with me, now that you've learned with me, what do you say? Have you figured it out yet? Do you know who I am? Now, I'm going to share this next story, and you might hear some groaning from the back. But I'm going to tell my perspective of this story. So I'm a sophomore in college. My wife is a freshman in college. We meet. I think she's super cute. She's working at the library. I'm going to the library often and not to read books. I'm going to flirt. We have this connection. We have this spark. And then she looks at me and says, I'm just not ready to date yet. And so what did I do? I did what any smart young man would do. I found another girl. Now, when she said she wasn't ready to date, I assumed, hey, I'm free to to experience the rest of the world. That's not what she was saying. She was saying, I want you to sit there, not talk to any other girls, and wait for me to be ready. Well, I didn't understand that, okay? So she is mad at me, but all all of this drama is happening. Why? It's happening because we didn't DTR. We didn't define the relationship. To me, when Jesus asks this question, that's what he's asking. He's asking you to DTR. He's like, can can we sit down for a moment? Can we define our relationship here? And and I think that this is the perfect question to start this series off because Jesus is making it personal. Jesus isn't asking, who am I? He's asking, who am I to you? See, it was important to differentiate between what the other people were saying and what the disciples believed. Because other people just saw him as some forerunner. They were still waiting on the Messiah. And they loved Jesus because of what he did for them. He came and he healed the sick and and, and he made the the blind to be able to see again. And who's not going to like this guy? But it was so impersonal. It was just like some prophet they could take advantage of. He wasn't the Christ. He wasn't the Messiah to them. See, Jesus asked this question so that the other opinions didn't influence them. 
He said, you guys, you got to let go of what the other people think. It only matters what you think. Don't let what other people think or other people say who I am, don't let them water down your faith. Listen, can I just say that, that Jesus doesn't give a rip what celebrities think. He doesn't give a rip what politicians think. He doesn't care what your friends think. He doesn't care what your parents think. He wants to know what you think. He wants to know what you believe. And this is why, John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't even know who his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father. I have made known to you that the, the important piece here. Like Jesus says, listen, I've invited you into my life. I've invited you to travel with me because I want to be your friend. I want to know you. This, this verse makes Jesus' intentions clear. He, he longs and desires for a relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. And, and to him, how you answer this question matters. And, and can we just pause for a second and, and understand how incredible it is that Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior? He doesn't want to just clean up the mess. He wants to jump in that mess with us. He could have come to earth and just been all about world redemption, but he didn't. He came to restore what was lost to his father. And that was his connection with those that he loved. So the first step is getting off the fence, but that next step is cultivation. The first step is about faith, but the next step is about bonding. Maybe this has just happened to me, so I apologize if you can't relate to this, but if you're on Facebook, have you ever been scrolling through Facebook and you just start to see these same posts from the same person, and then at some point you're kind of tired of it, and you look at it, and you're like, I don't even know who this is. What? what why am I seeing this? I, these people are not my friends. And then you look it up, and guess what? It's, you get the check mark. Somehow they are your friend. And you're like, what? That, that doesn't even make sense. Like, <laughs> and then you ask yourself, Why am I seeing this person? What, what, why have I allowed all this? You guys understand this, I think, re really, really well. You can literally be friends with people that you don't even really know. In fact, sometimes you're friends with people that you're, you kind of know who they are, but you've never even really met them. And this is what Jesus is trying to avoid. He doesn't want to be somebody in your life that you kind of know. He doesn't want to be a Facebook friend that you, I, I, he's, he's real, he exists. I'm friends with him on Facebook, but I don't really know who he is. He wants to be somebody that you connect with, somebody that you live your life with, somebody that you get together with. And that can't be cultivated without intimacy. It can't be cultivated without giving him some of your time. It can't be cultivated without trusting him enough for you to be vulnerable with him. Guys, it's, that relationship grows the same way that any relationship in our life grows. And I just want to say, like, what, what better time of the year to make a commitment to spiritual disciplines? to make a commitment to, to wanting to know Jesus Christ better. Because that's what we do. We get into this new year. We have all these good intentions of all these things we want to do. We want to lose weight. We want to be debt-free. We want to do all these things. But do we ever sit down and say, you know what? 2023, 
I want a better relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to plan to make that happen. I want to set goals in my life. I want to pray more. I want to read the word more. I, I, I want to know God better. What would it look like if we did that? To, to make goals that are specific, not I'd, I'd like a better relationship with Jesus. Well, how are you going to do that? I'd like to read my Bible more. How are you going to do that? How much, how much do you want to read the Bible every day or, or, or once a week or whatever it is? Make it specific. Make it measurable. Make it realistic. What are some of the ways you can make your faith, your relationship with Jesus more personal? What are the ways that you can become closer to him so that when he asks you this question, you're like, oh, you're my friend. You're my savior. You're my Messiah. Let me give you the last piece. Your answer will ultimately determine the trajectory of your life. Your answer to this question will determine the trajectory of your life. Growing up in high school, I had six different youth pastors or leaders. Two of them were family. Two of them resigned because of moral failure. One was fired and one moved away. Might have been a little bit of a factor of why I went into student ministry. But when I did, there was something that was really, really important to me. When I took a job, I wanted to make a commitment. I wanted to be there at that church for at least four years if I could be. Because I wanted to be for a student what I never had. I wanted to be consistent in their life. And that way, our history can help shape our future if you see a horror movie about spiders when you're a kid, you, you might grow up with a phobia. If you watch somebody play the piano really well as a kid, it, it might inspire a passion inside of you that, that you want to learn to play too. We have these moments of impact, these moments of change that kind of change the direction of our lives. And for Simon, that was the day that he met Jesus. The disciple that we know as Peter, he, he wasn't always Peter. He was once Simon. And it's here in the scripture that Jesus changes his name. And he changes his name because of the way that he answers the question. Now, what you don't realize is that Peter's got a wife at home. And can you imagine your husband comes home from traveling and you're like, oh, Simon, Simon, honey, it's so good to see you. And he's like, actually, it's Peter now. <laughs> like, Really? Simon, go clean the dishes. <laughs> but it wasn't just about the name. It was about what the name meant. It was about his future. He wasn't going to be a fisherman anymore. God had called him to be the rock of the church. There's a story in scripture of a guy named Joshua. And Joshua is, is the leader that comes after Moses. Joshua is the one that leads the people in the battle of Jericho, that leads the people into the promised land. But, but towards the end of his life, Joshua sends a very important message to the people of Israel. I want to read it to you, Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether you're going to serve the fathers, the, the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Let's be honest for a second. The Israelites' track record of being faithful to God is not great. And Joshua knows it. And at this stage in Joshua's life, he knows that he's not going to be around forever. So he issues these people a similar question. A similar question to what Jesus asked his disciples. Who are you going to serve? Who will you follow? And and really at, at the heart of this question for me is, who is going to be your Lord? Who are you going to choose to be the Lord of your life? Are you going to serve the gods of Egypt or the gods of Amorite? Or are you going to serve Yahweh? Are you going to to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Are you going to submit to him? The question that Jesus and Joshua ask is, is the crossroads between what we think and what we believe and what our actions say about what we believe. A place where we have to decide, who are we going to make the Lord of our lives? You have come to a pivotal point in history, and Jesus asks you that question, who do you say I am? And Jesus, what he's really asking is, are you willing to accept my lordship in your life? To put away your fishing poles and to step into your true calling. Because when you do that, it it changes everything. It changes the direction of your life. When you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, when you believe that he's the son of the living God, it changes our narrative. And maybe for you that it doesn't mean a career change, although it could, but it does change what we're about. It changes our focus. You may still work on cars or do whatever you do, but you do it differently. You work as if you are working unto the Lord and you look for opportunities to tell the people that surround you about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Because when you make Jesus your Lord, it changes your perspective. It changes what you care about. It changes how you approach life. It gives us access to the fruit of the Spirit. We begin to think and act more generously. We, be, we begin to elevate people's importance over the problems they create. We, we begin to treat and see people differently. We begin to care more about what God cares about. We care way less about money and status and success and power. We begin to make love our greatest priority. And we begin to enjoy church more because church becomes more about how we can serve the Lord rather than how the Lord can serve us. Now, those of you that know me know that I love Batman. In fact... If you go to my office, it's very obvious. In fact, you're like, wow, is this guy 12? A lot of Batman toys in there because I love Batman. But what you may not know about me is that I haven't always loved Batman. When I was growing up, I didn't really like to read. So I started reading comic books. Why? Because there's way more pictures. And I enjoyed the X-Men. And the X-Men was my first love. And then when I got to college, I had a roommate who became one of my, still is one of my best friends. His name's Leo. And Leo had a love for Batman. And he had a bookshelf that was full of Batman comics. And so I would sneak into his room and I'd, I'd steal those comics and I'd start reading those comics. And it was my friendship with Leo that caused a passion and love for Batman that is probably unhealthy, but that's okay. This, this to me, this is exactly what it looks like to fall 
in love with God. We, we just seek him. Like, you read this and maybe hear everything that I said, and you're like, holy cow, I can't, I can't bear the weight of that pressure. No, you're never meant to bear the weight of that pressure. Your only job is to seek after Jesus. That's what it says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All the scripture is trying to say is that when you make Jesus your first priority, he helps you take care of everything else. And we think about that all the time. You're like, man, in this new year, I just don't have time. I don't have time to give God 10 minutes of my day. But what I'm trying to tell you is that if you give God 10 minutes of your day, he will help you become more productive in the rest of it. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God, he gives you access to these things that, that are not common to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We don't bear the weight of this alone. And the more time we spend with him, the more we start to become like him. In the upper room, Jesus met with his disciples. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together. And if you didn't happen to get one, we have a little table in the back that has them. You can go ahead and peel that back. But here at Vincent's First Church, we practice open communion, which just means that if you're a confessed believer, we invite you to partake with us. But to me, part of why we do this is not just remembering what God has done for us. Part of why we do this answers that question. Because can I be honest with you? If Jesus isn't the Messiah, this whole communion practice is really strange. You are eating what arguably is not bread and drinking juice that's been sitting in this bottle for who knows how long. And this, this represents the body of Christ. Yeah, because who, do, who doesn't want to just take a bite of Jesus? Who doesn't want to drink Jesus' blood? See, all of that is symbolic for a reason. It's like, I know it's weird, but because it's weird, you're never gonna forget the day that I got on the cross and my blood poured out over your sin, over your garbage, over your junk. Made it to where it didn't matter anymore. So as you hold those elements, Charlie's gonna sing and, and we'll come back up and take these together. But I just want you to think about that. Think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and think about how you would answer that question. And maybe if you don't know how you'd answer that question, you'd like to talk to somebody. We're gonna have some pastors and people up front. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, to, to claim him as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. But as you hold those elements, dwell on that. Dwell on what Christ has given for you.
angels above singing as one. his disciples in that upper room and he blessed Father God as we hold that which represents your body and that which represents your blood Father God we just ask that you would use this as a reminder and an encouragement for us to live for you you would use it as a reminder to get off the fence I know it's, it's easier to kind of leave one foot in the world just to kind of spread our chances. But Father God, you're the only way. Sometimes we forget that. So we just ask you to help us to, to chase hard after you this week, to seek you, to allow you to be Lord of our lives. The scripture says that there's a way unto man which leads unto death. And that way seems right it's not so help us help us to learn to trust the one who created us help us to learn the one who created everything Father God that as we take this today that this be a reminder that we serve and worship the creator and not the creation we love you we praise you it's in your holy name that we pray Amen